You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. In a brush with death that occurred after a serious heart attack that caused him to temporarily flatline, a, a 20th century thinker named Abraham Maslow began to talk about life from that point forward as, quote, the post-mortem life. You know, he had tasted death, he had experienced death for himself, but then he lived to, to tell of it, and he lived to, to see another day. And so he described his experience like this. He said, one very important aspect of the post-mortem life is that everything gets precious, gets piercingly important. He said, you get stabbed by things, by flowers and by babies and by beautiful things. He said, just the act of living of walking and breathing and eating and having friends and chatting. And then he goes on to say, everything seems to look more beautiful rather than less. And one gets the much intensified sense of miracles. And that's quite an extraordinary experience. But the truth is that the Bible tells us that this is an experience and more that we can have. And today, a kind of post mortem life where everything is precious, where life is filled with hope and fresh possibilities. And it's the life that has been offered to us through the powerful, victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in order to highlight that good news, we're turning this morning to a passage in the, in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, Chapter 37, starting in verse 1, it says this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God. You know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied. As I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood to their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We're indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. 
And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Now, typically we approach Easter asking the questions. And they're important questions like, who is Jesus? Uh, Was the resurrection real? What does the empty tomb mean for us now? These these are important questions, but today I want to clear some space for God to answer the question. And here's the question that God asks in Ezekiel, and really the question that only God has the ability to answer himself. The question is this, can these bones live? Or in other words, can life be found where there is death? Can hope be discovered where things are utterly hopeless? And Easter is God's answer to his own question. Easter is God's resounding yes over humanity. Listen to how one author put it. Walter Brueggemann said, resurrection of the dead is God's capacity to take a circumstance of complete shutdown and hopelessness and make something new from it. Easter is the parade example of God's readiness for newness. My hope and prayer today for you is that you would see and experience and receive God's readiness for newness in your life as well. And in order to to highlight that good news of of resurrection life that is for us, what we're doing is we're looking at a vision from the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Now, this vision came to him when the people of God found themselves in exile in a place called Babylon. And after a long season of being in a painful place that they didn't want to be, their, their future was very bleak. Their ability to arise above and, uh, you know, rise above their circumstance was completely lacking. They were scattered. They were weak. They were vulnerable. And they were in desperate need of being restored. Now, it turns out that these are the very situations that God desires to revive. And so what we see here in Ezekiel 3, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 37 is three things. The diagnosis of death the breath of life, and the message of hope. Let's look first at the diagnosis of death. Now, there's a scene from the the famous movie, uh, Princess Bride, where Wesley's dead corpse is found. And so they take him to the notorious medicine man named Miracle Max. If anyone's gonna be able to help him, it's gonna be Miracle Max. And so he says, you know, when they show up with the dead corpse, they say, Miracle Max says, you know, it just so happens here that your friend is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive, but all dead, well, then there's usually only one thing you can do. The other man standing there asks, what is that? He says, check his clothes for loose change. In other words, we can work with slightly dead, but all the way dead, well, then all, all bets are off at that point. Easter confronts us with a very similar dilemma, and and it's this. Is the life that Jesus Christ offers to us 
for the mostly dead or the all the way dead? In other words, does Jesus sort of rejuvenate and resuscitate or does Jesus resurrect? And, and this really matters. This is important because for those who think of themselves as mostly dead, well, then there are various options that can be explored in order to sort of revitalize and refresh life, religion, self-help, fitness, technology, better friendships, financial security, another vacation. And then you can kind of sort of fit Jesus into that equation, however he seems helpful at that moment. And countless people live like just kind of fit Jesus in however you desire, along with the other things that you turn to for life. But if in fact we're all the way dead, then there really is only one thing that can be done. And that's to turn to Christ and to trust the utterly life-changing power of his resurrection there are multiple places in the scriptures that describe our condition. Ephesians 2 tell us that we were in fact all the way dead in our trespasses and sin and following an all the way dead world. Spiritual death because of the presence of sin in us. Romans chapter 6 says that the wages of sin, the wages of our rebellion against God and us trying to put ourselves in the place of God is death. So not only is there spiritual death, but we all experience physical death. I hate to break it to you, but the death rate of everyone tuning in this Easter is going to inevitably, inevitably be 100%. It's not a matter of if, but when. It's something we cannot avoid because of sin. But here in the, in the book of Ezekiel, our imagination is stirred. We're not just told it, we're shown it. And we're given this very vivid picture of what life is like before and after encountering the resurrection power of God. And the picture that we're given is a clear picture. It's a picture of dry bones. Now, typically, we desire encouraging visions about ourselves and we desire encouraging visions about the future. And especially on Easter, we, we expect that, that sort of thing. But we first, before we ascend, we must first descend. And what God is doing is he's leading Ezekiel and he's leading us, the reader, into the valley. And he's causing us to take a long, hard, honest look at our own humanity. And what do we see when we, when we, dis, when we look? What, what we discover is brittle, slain, scattered lives upon the ground. Not, not, not to mention the disgrace that's involved here of being refused a proper burial. The picture is us left to fend to ourselves and dying in the process, just bodies scattered upon the ground, helpless and hopeless and totally cut off from the life-giving presence of God. Now, if, if you think that you are somehow exempt from this equation, it's really clear in verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Everyone's included here. Everyone is here. Behold, say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. It's our condition. Now, if you think this is a sort of bleak outlook on humanity, let me remind you of a few things. 
The first is this, that the 20th century boasted of technology that would bring the world together like never before. And in a lot of ways, it brought us together. But at the same time, never have we experienced a more brutal, bloodier, war-torn century in human history. In fact, the same technology that was leveraged and utilized to bring us together was the same technology that we utilized to hurt each other. Another illustration is the fact that life expectancy continues to rise and rise like never before. We're not talking years, we're talking decades. The average person can anticipate living like 20 to 30 years longer than people about a century ago. People are living longer and yet the statistics of drug overdose and suicide continue to rise at a similar rate. We're, We're living longer and we're dying faster. And to just illustrate our frailty and really our mortality, despite our military might that has secured, uh, for the most part, peace on our own soil, and despite the fact of having such a strong economic structure that has put us in the top tier of the globe, a microscopic virus, something we can't even see with our naked eye, has successfully put us as a people into a frenzy, has totally disrupted our economy, and put life on hold for millions and millions of people. Maybe we aren't what we thought we are. This journey is for those who are willing to honestly confront the diagnosis and and really the truth of their human condition. The the result of of, of sin present in the world and in our lives, humanity left to itself is a hopeless case. And on a personal level, we left to ourselves are just as hopeless. Every effort to self-improve in the long run seems to make our situation worse. If we're honest, we, we look inside and what do we discover? We discover the same decay and brokenness and death that we see out there. And yet what Ezekiel shows us is that it's into this very hopeless condition that God breathes life. The the image that we're given here is that of the spirit of the living God invading the valley valley of the shadow of death. This is where God does his most extraordinary work when things are bleak, when things are hopeless, when all bets are off. It's when the wind of God's life begins to blow. Which leads us to our second point, the breath of life. Now, at the heart of this scene is a promise from God, and it's a promise that I'm going to call you to stake your entire life and future on. And here is the promise found in verse 5. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I'm going to bring life, and you will live. Now, as the scene unfolds, we see God bringing life first the bones, then the sinews, then the flesh, and then the skin. And then finally, God breathes the breath of life into these people. Now, this order, I think, is very important because it's essentially the very opposite order that would occur if a body was just left out in the open and began to decompose. It loses its breath and then skin and its flesh and finally down to its bones. But we see something extraordinary happening here. It's as if God is pushing rewind. 
God is reversing the order of death. What, what's being described here is the recreation of men and women, where sin has brought decay and brokenness and ultimately death. God is reversing the effects of the curse. He's, he's turning it backwards. See, Ezekiel's vision is essentially a reenactment of what we see at the creation account. In, in Genesis chapter 2, it says that God creates man, Adam, and, but then it's just still a lifeless body. And then he breathes life into him. And in the same way, God's spirit brings the life of God into us and animates us. It awakens us. God is showing his people that he intends to bring us back to what life was like before sin shattered all of this, when we experienced unending fellowship with God, when we experienced unhindered relationship with one another, and ultimately where life continued forever, it never ended. Now, while this vision of Ezekiel meant something special for the exiled nation of Israel, it had a particular context and a particular audience, we also believe that this prophecy means something for us as well. And we believe it means something for us spiritually, practically, communally or corporately, as, as well as eternally. Spiritually, it means that God is offering us rebirth and spiritual renewal where we are spiritually dead. The resurrection has opened up for us the possibility of rebirth, of, of new birth. In fact, listen to how the Apostle Peter would put it. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Spiritual life. It also means something practically. The, the breath of God that fills these revived people, it says, causes them to live and to stand to their feet. This isn't theoretical life. This isn't just warm feelings inside life. This is a, this is a life that changes us practically. Friend, the Christian life is not just a matter of existing. It's a matter of vitality and thriving and flourishing. The breath that God gives us is new energy and new courage and new motivation to stand for God. It means something for us corporately. We see scattered bones coming together. If you listen quietly, you can actually hear the rattling of the bones. But it's not coming together just to make these lonely, isolated individuals. The picture is God bringing a people back together. In fact, the conclusion of the vision is a vast army, a vast number of people standing together. The Spirit of God, the resurrection of Christ means that we are being made a part of something bigger than ourselves. God, through the resurrection, is bringing an end to loneliness. Finally, it means something for us eternally. The vision goes from the, the valley of dry bones to a different location. It takes us to this graveyard, this gravesite from the present valley to future graves of God's people, from the present power of God to raise us spiritually to the future promise of God's power to raise us bodily, healing us completely. You see, when Jesus burst open the tomb and, and came out conquering death, the Bible describes it as just the first of many. The resurrection is God saying, I'm just getting started. And we too, who have been united to Jesus Christ, through faith, 
will also rise to everlasting life. God is promising to break open the graves. Ain't no grave can hold our body down. This is the new life that God breathes into his people. This is what gives us hope. This is why we celebrate this Easter Sunday. And that leads us to our final point here. The message of hope. The message of hope. Now, one of the more difficult things that medical professionals have to do is make that formal pronouncement of death. There's that moment when a person flatlines in the ICU or on the operating table or in the ambulance on, on the way to the hospital. And, and the person present, typically a medical professional, has to call it, you know, time of death, fill in the blank. But Ezekiel finds himself in a completely opposite situation. And so do we today. He has been put in charge. We have been put in charge of giving the pronouncement of life. In fact, announcing the reversal of death that God alone can bring. I think it's really interesting that God doesn't just say like, hey, Ezekiel, watch this, snap his finger, and then these bodies rise from, from the valley. Nor does he tell Ezekiel like, oh, hey, 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 go gather those bones, like bring them together and kind of build some sort of semblance of a, of a people. No. What does he say? He says, speak to them. Prophesy. Testify. Why? Because there's power in this message. In fact, listen to what happens. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Listen. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling of the bones that came together bone to its bone. Again in verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them. And they lived and stood to their feet an exceedingly great army. This is the confidence that we have as those who have been entrusted with this message of hope. There's power in the message. Now, there's an old story about a famous preacher, the pre uh, prince of preachers, he was called Charles Spurgeon. Because of his reputation, just being this fierce preacher, people would come from all over the place seeking out his advice. And so a struggling young man came to him and says, you know, I I've, been, I've been sharing the, my faith. I've been preaching the gospel. I've been telling everyone about Jesus Christ, but I'm just not seeing anyone come to Christ. And so Spurgeon wisely responds. He says, well, do you expect somehow that every time you, you pronounce this message that people are going to get saved? The young man says, well, of course not. Not necessarily. And then Spurgeon responds. He says, that's your problem. That's your problem. It's not that you expect too much. It's that you expect too little when it comes to the power of the gospel. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 1 tells us that the gospel message, the message and pronouncement of new life in the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ is the very power of God to save and transform lives. Back here in Ezekiel, how does God raise these dry bones? Is it fairy dust? Is it, is it wishful thinking? Is it happy thoughts? Is it a magic potion? No, it's the message of life. It's the pronouncement of new life. This is exactly how God continues to transform lives today. And I am an example of this. When I was 21 years old, in an otherwise forgettable car ride, my wife, sitting next to me, turns to me and asks me a very simple question. She asks, do you understand the grace of God? 
And I was confronted in that moment with the reality that I didn't. And through a very simple conversation about the salvation that comes to us through Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God awakened my heart and changed my life forever, taking me from the path of self-destruction and hurting the people around me and placing me into a life of purpose and fulfillment in following Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, he continues to breathe life day after day into my life. And I am just a drop in the bucket of what God is doing all around us. Friend, the Bible tells us that on the cross, Jesus took upon himself the sins of his people, that Jesus was, in fact, cut off from God and cut off from humanity. The Lord of life himself was laid in a borrowed tomb. The Holy One that created the entire universe was laid alongside the the bones of, of sinners. He descended into death. But on the third day, he was raised by the power of God and he unleashed the life of heaven into the dry valleys. And so for those who have not yet believed upon Jesus Christ, listen to me. Today is your day. Today is your day to trust in him. The the resurrection is not simply this historic event we, we just celebrate. It's not just something to give us warm feelings. It is God's personal invitation to you to receive his life and to join his people no matter who you are no matter where you've been no matter what your story if you're hearing this message today and you feel compelled to receive it if you look inside and you're honest and you just find brittleness and dryness and you're feeling the weight of the hopelessness of life and you are willing to receive this message personally, it's because God intends to breathe life into you as well. I believe he is doing that even as I speak. Why? Because that's what he promised to do. What I want to invite you to do today is to simply say to God these words, in me I find death, but in you is found life. I trust you. I repent of my sin and I receive your life. And I promise you, friend, your life will be changed forever. For those who have believed, but for various reasons, you've, you've fallen back into the patterns of death. Maybe you, you're feeling spiritually lifeless. Maybe you feel that brittleness and that dryness and that, and that sort of lostness. You feel like your hope is, is dried up. Maybe you're experiencing that, that feeling of feeling cut off, separated because of sin. Hey, today is your day of revival too. The wind of God is blowing. Get in on this. Receive it afresh. Pray, God, fall afresh on me. Revive this brittle life. My hope and prayer for you all is that God would breathe the breath of life upon you on this wonderful Easter Sunday. Why? Because Christ is risen and there is reason to hope. And now it's time to celebrate and to live into this new life and to receive it. What I want to do is ask you to check out these stories about what God has done and continues to do in the lives of brothers and sisters. God bless you. Hi everyone, my name is Cyrus and I'm currently a pharmacy student at the University of the Pacific. 
Um, I've been a part of Reality Church of Stockton since 2015. I think for me, um, before I met Jesus, my identity was found a lot in expectations. What others expected of me, what others thought of me, or even what I thought or expected of myself. And to be honest, it's given me a lot of anxiety, it's given me a lot of um, weariness. And um, it's when I met Jesus that I realized that there is an identity, that I'm a child of God, and that's something that um, that's found just by believing in Him. It's not something that I can do as I realize that what I can do will never be enough. And God breathed new life into my life through this because I've been given an identity that's unchanging, that's constant and can never be taken away. And um, something that's not found in um, what others think of me or anything that I can perform to, to do, um, but it's found by believing in God. It's found in Christ. And to me, it's given me new purpose and I found a joy in, in serving God and loving others. And that's something that um, is done because I'm already a child of God. Hello, my name is Jose. And my name is Angelina. When we look at Ezekiel 37, we can't help but see God bring life into dry bones. And for us, this happened in a particular season. And that season was when we chose to leave reality. In that process, deep friendships were severed and I found myself without community, and my soul began to feel dry. So I took the prayer for direction, either to build a new community or to go back. And in that, God led us back to reality. Our community does not only experience forgiveness, but full reconciliation. And we've seen that through the support, love, and encouragement that we experience from our community at reality with the birth of our daughter, Selena. And we know, as believers, this hope is not just for us, but for anybody who believes in Christ. A reading about Ezekiel's vision at the Valley of Dry Bones, I could instantly visualize times in my life where it must have looked very similar, um, where it was dry and dead and had been that way for a long time. Um, and it was impossible to have done anything for myself. And these were all times when I was a Christian and operated in a way that I, I had no consideration of what God wanted for me and, and what it meant for my life to be, uh, to serve Him and to do worship Him gladly. And, um, but God never left me in those times. Um, has always revealed himself to me and revealed his power to me. It was always through his word. It was always through a reminder of who he was and what had been done on my behalf. And always breathed new life to me and put me back together and caused me to stand upright. And as I get older, I carry those times with me as a reminder and as signs of God's faithfulness and his love for me and his great power. Hi guys, it's The Leaks here tuning in, uh, doing our whole social distancing thing. Um, and we wanted to participate for this Easter, Easter service. And one of the biggest moments in which God has brought uh, new life to us is literally in the form of our daughter, <laughs> but also in the form of our marriage when God's grace really began to reign true in our lives and God displayed it even more frequently. Um, we got a little noisy one, but, um, yeah, like from, from the grace that we display to one another to the grace that we now want to give towards our daughter, we understand more so the love and grace that God gives towards us. And that breathes a lot of new life into us to be willing to, to love on others, to love on ourselves, and most importantly, to love on the, the blessing that God has given us. So God bless y'all <laughs> and hopefully happy Easter. Happy Easter. Catch y'all later.